0: Listener supported. WNYC Studios.
1: From WNYC Studios, I'm Brian Lehrer. This is my Daily Politics Podcast. It's Wednesday, January 10th. Brian Lehrer on WNYC. Like with Donald Trump, could the influence of the National Rifle Association be curbed in court? because of corrupt activities rather than just in the political sector? A civil corruption trial of the National Rifle Association's top executives began on Monday in New York. Attorney General Letitia James has accused top NRA leaders of misusing more than $64 million in cash donated by its members. The lawsuit claims the funds were used to pay for private jets, vacations, and to fund no-show jobs for friends and allies, according to reporting from uh, NPR, citing the charge. Wayne LaPierre, the longtime leader of the NRA, is one of the high-profile defendants in the case. He announced his resignation from the NRA just last Friday in advance of the beginning of the trial. Over the next six weeks or so, Justice Joel Cohn of the Supreme Court of the State of New York and a jury will decide the fate of the NRA, the nation's largest gun rights group. Joining me now to discuss the suit and its national implications is Stephen Kodowski, founder of The Reload, an independent publication focused on firearms policy and politics. Stephen, thanks for joining us today. Welcome to WNYC. Hey, thank you for having me. You write, the civil suit from New York Attorney General Letitia James alleges misappropriation of funds on a grand scale by the group's leadership. What does A.G. James want if she proves her case?
0: Well, initially she wanted to dissolve the NRA altogether, but that was taken off the table by the judge. And so now she's asking for a court overseer to be appointed and for leadership to be barred from ever working at a nonprofit in the state of New York again.
1: (laughs) According to internal documents leaked to the Wall Street Journal, I see LaPierre spent about $275,000 on Zegna clothing from 2004 to 2017. (laughs) That's a lot of clothing. And it may seem a little glib to talk about clothing, but GQ reports that LaPierre was caught because he tried to charge his Zegna suits to Ackerman McQueen, the NRA's former ad agency. The NRA is currently suing the firm for not fully justifying its fee. So can you take us one step further and explain that part of the case?
0: Yeah, certainly. um, You know, there was really kind of an arrangement at the NRA between its leaders and Ackerman McQueen, where uh, oftentimes Ackerman McQueen would pay for things like expensive suits, Um, Or even there was, uh, at one point, uh, a plan to try and buy Wayne Montpierre a house using NRA money funneled through Ackerman McQueen. Uh, And and so once the investigation was, uh, the NRA got wind, there was going to be an investigation. That's when things soured between them and Ackerman because they wanted to uh, say that this was Ackerman's fault. Uh, This was, keep in mind, this was like a decades-long arrangement. This was not something that, that had just yeah. sprung up before this investigation started. And and so, you know, that that's sort of the cr- the crux of this entire case is is this arrangement where personal expenses were funneled through the NRA via their media contractor, Ackerman
1: McQueen. I wonder how many Trump ties $275,000 would buy, but that's a different show. But wait, isn't the NRA a not-for-profit organization? Like, how is it possible that all of this was going on when we know that nonprofits have to disclose certain financial information? Uh,
0: they they had uh, this arrangement with Ackerman McQueen where these expenses would come through as just a... Uh, 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 Sort of line item, or not? I should say flat fee. There were no line items associated with it, so they'd pay Ackerman McQueen maybe forty million dollars a year, and a lot of these kind of expenses were were rolled up into that, and they weren't it's uh, they weren't reported to NRA membership or publicly in a line item basis. So there was no way to know uh, if you were an outsider exactly what was going on with these sorts of payments.
1: So I see that the lawsuit targets Lapierre, the NRA itself as an organization. And Wilson, Woody, Phillips, a former NRA treasurer and chief financial officer, and John Fraser, a corporate secretary and general counsel. I think I've got all the names. But I also see that Joshua Powell, a former top executive at the NRA, has already admitted wrongdoing and agreed to pay $100,000. So what did he admit to? And did he what we would call flip and is testifying now against Wayne LaPierre and the others? Yes, he
0: did flip. Uh, he will be testifying although he he did that before this settlement was announced um and so he was he was accused of uh this, this same sort of corruption here where uh in his case uh, I believe he was having the NRA hire relatives to work there um and actually the $100,000 one of the interesting things about this case is it's 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 more like a consumer protection case is the the He's not going to have to pay New York State or anything like that. He's going to have to pay the National Rifle Association because that's that's who he defrauded effectively. And it's the same thing for the rest of the people accused. Like, If LaPierre loses his, his arguments, um, he's actually going to have to pay back the NRA for the money that was diverted to him.
1: By the way, on the brand that Wayne LaPierre allegedly spent uh, all that money, $275,000 on, shows you how much of a fashion maven I am not. I was reading it phonetically as Zegna. Uh, I'm told by people much more familiar with uh, Runways, I guess, than I am, that it's Zania. So those of you who have Zania clothes and think, what's that Zegna that he's talking about? I apologize. Um, I, since you're not a New York legal analyst, you are a firearms politics and policy analyst. I don't know if you will have anything to say to this, but this seems of a piece, in a way, with a civil fraud trial that's in court now from Letitia James against Donald Trump, um, where the penalty could be that the Trump organization can't do business in New York anymore. And this is a civil fraud case as well against the NRA and its leaders, in which she was going for um, banning the NRA from being an organization Anymore, so we, we we see a certain kind of a aggressiveness um, in this con, you know, on this kind of legal track from the New York State Attorney General. Have you given that any thought? Yeah, well,
0: certainly Donald Trump sees these two things as connected. He's he's talked about that in the past um, when he's attacked Letitia James for for her lawsuit against him. He's connected these two suits and accused her. of, being politically motivated. Obviously, the NRA has also accused her of being politically motivated. And to be fair, she did call them a terrorist organization when she was running Hmm. for attorney general and promised Mm -hmm. to investigate them. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I wouldn't say that politics is absent from this situation. At the same time, that doesn't necessarily mean that her allegations are incorrect. You know what I mean? So uh, there's certainly politics is is well involved in this uh, situation for sure. You know, the NRA is one of the most powerful lobbying groups in the country. Uh, certainly on the issue of guns. And um, <clears throat> at the same time, you know, Latricia James has a, a pretty good case built up here. I, I think she has a, a pretty good chance of, of winning uh,
1: mm-hmm.
0: on the merits of the case itself. And the judge, I think, also recognizes the the politics at play. You know, he he denied that Uh, request to dissolve the organization because he felt it wouldn't be in the best interest of the members who are supposed to be, you know, the the harmed party here. Uh, But at the same time, he warned the NRA's lawyers that the allegations that have been laid out are very, he views them as very significant and very serious. Um, So he he seems to be aware of all the politics involved and, uh, and handling that, I think, fairly well, to be honest with you, um, to this point, at least from my point of view
1: few more minutes on this case that's in court in New York now against the NRA. And we'll get to its implications um, if you think there are any for gun policy in the United States. But first, let me take a call from Bob in Riverside, Connecticut, who says he is an NRA member. Bob, thanks for calling in. You're on WNYC.
2: Good morning, Brian, and thank you for taking the call. Uh, I'm a life member of the NRA, have been for over 60 years now. And, uh, the, uh, unfortunately the, uh, organization has, uh, uh, both both morally and financially bankrupt, but it is still the premier, uh, firearms technical, uh, and safety, uh, organization. I think it's been Mm -hmm. a leader in that for, for decades and, uh, done very well. I started, uh, I think I was eight years or nine years old when I first started shooting at a at a day camp, and you know got my marksman and bar one and bar two, one thing or another, and learned had had ingrained firearm safety, uh, and their hunter safety courses and one thing another, uh, and uh, the uh, they've they've done magnificent work there. Uh, I went on to become a gunnery officer in the navy where. Mm -hmm. Firearm safety was important as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you Uh, think
1: that they've changed over the years in this respect? Uh, Because you raise a great point that there are those other kinds of things like firearm safety that the NRA has traditionally done. But I think most Americans now think of it in terms of the sheer politics of, you know, um, pushing the Second Amendment as far as it can go. And like Wayne LaPierre standing up there after the... Sandy Hook elementary school massacre and saying the only remedy for a bad guy with a gun is a good guy with a gun that kind of thing do you do you think it's changed um in your long membership uh time period and and does that matter to you one way or the other
2: uh, it does matter and that is the the morally bankrupt portion of the NRA that has made itself most visible uh i think that uh LaPierre has been an embarrassment to the NRA for decades certainly in my opinion uh, but of course they didn't ask me <laughs> they we got to vote on on directors uh each year and uh but the uh uh which is a life member issue yeah. but the uh uh that is a a slate that's presented and it's there's in many corporate uh, environments is a uh, pretty much they get elected. There's not, a, there's not a lot of competition, and they, uh, it is a, a, a slate that is selected by the existing uh, leadership, and so it tends to uh, uh, well, no, I, I perpetuate. So yes, uh, right.
1: perpetuate the, 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 politics uh, of the, the bad
2: the politics yeah. and the bad ideas just get pursued on and on and on, and the, uh, it's an uh, uh, enormous amount of momentum. Uh, I think they in my own opinion i i believe they uh went way 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 overboard on uh the uh second amendment uh, and starting back in the second amendment issues They they call it second amendment I mean, second amendment is is there it's uh, it's it is one of the uh, uh we call it call them a, the bill of rights but actually it's a bill of limitations on the government
1: on the federal because, government that's that's true uh and we could get into a whole other conversation about what that well-regulated militia clause of the Second Amendment meant, but that's beyond the scope of our conversation today. Bob, thanks for your call. I really, really appreciate it. Stephen, do you think there are a lot of uh, Bob in Riverside, Connecticut's out there, or does he represent a certain older generation of NRA members? And um, there are a lot of younger members who are all go, 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 no limits on gun rights.
0: Yeah, I, I think it's probably the latter. I will say, obviously, when you have that many members as an organization, uh, at which at one point they were over 5 million, now they're back down closer to 4.2, which maybe goes to your earlier point about how some of the members have felt about this uh, corruption scandal. You know, they've lost over a million members and they've had to slash things like, uh, uh, yeah, and they've had to slash funding for things like their gun safety program, which does still, even today, uh, lead the nation as far as, uh, the number of, of trainers out there. In fact, I'm a NRA certified trainer. It's just one of the, one of the things, it's really one of the only ways you can become a gun safety trainer in the United States. Um, and, and so they've had to cut back on things like that, which are, which are very popular with all sorts of different members, like, like the caller we just, just had, even if they disagree with the politics, you will often hear people praising the gun safety efforts of the NRA. Um, I will, you know, I, I, obviously it's, you can look at some polling that indicates that members at writ large are more open to gun control efforts than the NRA. I will note though, that after Sandy Hook, after that speech that you mentioned, which has been obviously very controversial in uh, the public, uh, they, they actually saw their largest increase in membership ever. You know, that's when they reached 5 million for the first time. So I would say that there are certainly a lot of people who do agree with that with that approach, it probably does limit their appeal to a certain section of of gun owners like we just experienced. But, but I, you know, I, I don't know that there was ever a large movement inside of the NRA to moderate on that, on that issue.
1: And here's a text from a listener who says, most people involved in the firearms community knew the NRA was corrupt and lame. We support the Gun Owners of America, that's a different group, and Mm. the FPC, you'll have to tell me what that stands for, who, the listener writes, actually challenge gun control laws in court and defend the American public when an unjust or unconstitutional law or arrest is made. So are the Gun Owners of America or the other group mentioned here, FPC, kind of rising as the NRA is fading and it really goes to sort of my bottom line question in this whole um, segment and around this whole trial a- and that is are there any implications for the balance of power in terms of gun rights and gun regulation uh, as mm. as the NRA gets diminished by this lawsuit and its revelations or not really
0: yeah those are great questions and I, I think there's a great contrast I'm glad this came up because really what you see more of inside the gun rights movement specifically, the you know, activist types uh, is the idea that the NRA has been too weak, uh, has been too willing to compromise. And and this is often the selling point for other groups like Gun Owners of America or Firearms Policy Coalition, which is uh, FPC. And those groups have grown, um, even grown significantly uh, as the NRA has declined over the last five years or so. Uh, however, uh, they have not grown to the point where they make up for that decline. The NRA, at its peak, was something like a four hundred million dollar organization uh, between all of its different legal entities. You combine them, uh, whereas a lot of these other groups, um, you know, they really top top out in recent years around fifteen million dollars, and they're more. They tend to be more focused on specific areas. Like Firearms Pol- Policy Coalition focuses much more exclusively on uh, legal efforts, which, you know, there's now there's good reason for that. Given the Supreme court had a landmark case recently. Uh, but the, uh, you know, the NRA goes to lots of different areas where you don't have other groups working and they even still today are larger than every other gun rights group combined, uh, even after this precipitous decline in membership and revenue. So yeah, if they continue on that trajectory and they keep going down the spiral, uh, where they may end up in, in bankruptcy, end up being insolvent, it, it's still going to have a, a significant impact on gun policy. I mean, you could kind of already see this to some extent when in 2022, uh, Congress passed the first new expansion of uh, the list of people who can't own firearms. That was a relatively minor expansion in the compared to previous generations. But It's the first one in, like, 30 years, and that passed at the moment where the NRA has been having this sort of chaos.
1: Let me take one more call from a former NRA member. We'll find out why, and then we're going to run out of time. Roland in Albany. You're on WNYC. Hi, Roland.
3: Hi, how are you doing? Uh, I quit the NRA after Sandy Hook, and and in part because of their position on the bump stock uh, uh, bill, which passed through Congress. Uh, a rifle uh, is I'm a hunter I'm a black guy from the south I hunt my kids hunt I've taught them to shoot Uh there are other groups that can handle gun safety Uh, but the NRA uh, has become so powerful that most of the gun legislation was written by NRA lobbyists and I'm a lobbyist I know how this works the campaign money the contributions uh, their power on Capitol Hill was just far too much for any one organization uh, there were questions about the spending before this, but I think, you know, power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely, and Wayne LaPierre has been riding that horse way too long. Uh, the When I was an Army officer, I was a, uh, at a basic combat training company at Fort Jackson, and when you look at uh, rifles that we use in the Army, an M-16, kind of the military version of the ar 15 most of our uh, soldiers never get a, would never get a chance or an opportunity to use a rifle on automatic fire, because when you use a rifle on automatic fire, you're giving up accuracy for firepower. So uh, the existence of a automatic rifles, even in combat situations, is, is very, very limited. So for that to be available to the general public, and even when they were outlawed, the bump stock law comes in, and the NRA says, well, this is not really an automatic rifle, but effectively, you add it to the back of a of a single shot AR-15, and suddenly you're firing you know, 30 rounds of, uh, in 30 seconds. Right. Uh, that could not possibly be the intent yeah. of uh, so, any good organization. With so gun so safety. In,
1: in short, because you know, for me, living where I live in New York City, um, I might not be so familiar with bump stocks, but my understanding of it is that, and I think this is what you were just describing, it can convert a semi-automatic rifle where you still have to pull the trigger each time to shoot to an automatic where you can just hold the trigger and multiple bullets will come out. How close is that?
3: That's exactly your point. I wrote several articles, you can find them online, about this. Essentially, it takes the automatic rifle law, which made them illegal, and totally circumvented it. By allowing a, an additional piece to be added to a single-shot AR-15, so that it's now an automatic rifle. By the uh, way, it's, living, it's Not living the in. Aer- well,
1: go ahead, uh, Stephen. Go ahead, chime in.
0: Uh, <clears throat> well, just on the on the technical point there, um, it a bump stock allows a semi-automatic to sort of mimic automatic fire. It, you still have to actually depress the trigger each time you fire. No, you do what it, What it does is allows you to do that much more quickly than you could using, you know, traditional um, shooting techniques because you can actually, you can bump fire without a stock. Um, But, but, you know, and and certainly the NRA did oppose the legislation to uh, ban bump stocks in the wake of the Las Vegas shooting, which featured bump stocks, obviously. Um, But they did support Donald Trump's uh, executive branch approach to banning them through the ATF, through rulemaking, which has since been found unconstitutional, but Uh it's been mostly the other gun rights groups that have been fighting uh, that fight in the courts.
1: Roland, thank you so much for your call, we appreciate it. And we're gonna leave it there with Stephen Gutowski who uh, reports on gun policy and gun politics. He's founder of The Reload, an independent publication that focuses on those things on the trial ongoing in New York right now, of Wayne LaPierre, the NRA itself, and a few other NRA members. Civil fraud trial brought by New York State Attorney General Letitia James. Stephen, thanks a lot. Really appreciate this. Thanks for having me.